Well, here it is another week, and it's time to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sabalero, and in the co-host chair this week is our international correspondent, host of the Inside EMS, not the Inside EMS, what am I talking about? The EMS One Stop, as well as uh, EMS One contributing author, Rob Lawrence. Rob, you're uh, across the pond this week uh, over in England. I am. I'm on uh, grandpa duty right now. So uh, whilst it's good morning for you, it's good evening for me. Well, it's uh, good to have you here. We're coming off our uh, combined show last week. We're going to do another combined show this week. But with us, we have to do the quick introduction. We can't leave him waiting in the green room too long is our good friend, Matt Zavatsky. He is the chief transformation officer at MedStar, also an EMS1 author, great speaker, all around good friend and uh, bearded guy. Yeah, I got this my Viking look. <laughs> well, it does look good. But Matt, I want to thank you for joining us, Rob. It's good for you to be here as well. And, you know, the topic of discussion, everybody knows because they see it in the show notes now. CMS went ahead and said ET3 no more. And I think the first question, Matt, let me ask you first. I'll come to you second, Rob, is uh, what did you, Matt, when you saw this news, I mean, what was your first thoughts? Well, you know, Chris, you, you know me from working with me for a long time. Is I'm a, I tend to be an early riser. And when I, when I first saw the notice come through, it was immediately following the latest update from the CMMI ET3 community check where they were uh, in, in the first email talking about here's how you can engage with with community partners and payers and here's here's information from Chris Ceballero and here's information from MedStar and then literally the next email message was from CMS saying they're canceling the ET3 program and I said well that must be a mistake right they're still promoting you know how we do more partner engagements and community engagements um, and then upon opening the email and reading the letter that was attached, I was just dumbfounded, absolutely dumbfounded. And I guess it works when you come off mute, Rob, but what was your first thoughts? I mean, because you actually sent Indeed. it, you actually sent me the uh, letter that I, came I, out I, relatively quickly, but what were I your did. first thoughts? It's, 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 it's one of those JFK Princess Diana moments. Where were you when the, when the email arrived, right? And of yeah, course, exactly. we were all at the AAA conference. And so it went round like... You know, like like wildfire, literally, and so it came through. I had, and I was like that uh, that what no way guy off uh, social media. What no way? Um, and you know, it's disappointing. Matt will remember when ET three first surfaced. I did that little meme of you know, e, you know, ET of ET on the bike, and it's something to phone home about. And uh, I had great hopes for it because coming from the UK where we had, you know, uh, the, the the SIAM, Priority Solutions Integrated Access Management, Nurse Triage, Pathways, you know, my mission as a chief in the UK was not um, admit, admittance avoidance. It was arrival avoidance. I had to avoid arriving with the patient. In other words, all the things that we were hoping for was you know wrapped up in et3 and of course to see that it's all been canned and we'll get into you know what we think the reasons are uh you know it, it, it was just left me flat to be honest you know so when we think about this i mean certainly i was disappointed as well i mean we're supposed to go for five years we went for two years and now we have to really get through the the butter of what the heck really happened because we have to understand this but matt i gotta think you know as we go forward 
there are a lot of we did some great work during covid right when we talked about uh, er avoidance when we talked about treating people at home and we really didn't need this et3 model what we needed to do was continue what we were doing during covid which included everybody and i was really disappointed when we you know they finally said okay we're going to start this but we can't stop this. We got to continue to move this along somehow and ensure that we're still doing the things that we need to do for our patients. Yeah, Chris, the ET3 model was on at its core a much better service delivery model, certainly a much better economic model, and certainly a much, much more patient-centric model. I think you know, we can get into some of the opining about why we think the notice went out, but we as a profession cannot let this be the final word. Um, NAEMT, AAA, um, IFC, IFF have been working very hard over the last eight to nine months to get legislation introduced in Congress to make treatment in place, TIP, and transport to alternate destinations, TAD, known as TIP and TAD, um, now covered benefit. Just change the Social Security statute. Instead of ambulance transport being the benefit, it's, you know, all those things. We have Language drafted, it's at ledge council being converted into bill language. The the one thing, and we have a plethora, Rob, I'll let you Google that while I'm talking, of of representatives and senators who want to sponsor and co-sponsor that language. Because during EMS on the Hill Day, during Stars of Life, we have these conversations and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we don't bring everybody to the hospital that the patient benefits, Medicare benefits. Um, the one thing that we've been asked and have been waiting for for a long time was data from CMS showing what was the savings to the Medicare program from the ET3 model or during the ET3 model. So we need to keep pressing on. We need to get data from organizations that have been in the ET3 model. We need to uh, get patient experience reports from those patients. We need to show how much time it's put back in the system without having APOT issues for two and three hours in, on the left coast there, um, how it's benefited everybody, and just keep this moving. And instead of a, a handful of agencies that can participate, just make it the new rule so that everybody can participate. And Matt, I have to say, one man's one man's plethora is another man's smorgasbord. And of course, that was the discussion. You're right, tip and tad, or as, as I like to call it, tilt, treatment and lieu of transport. That was the talk of, you know, our last uh, EMS on the Hill. NAMT were only there in April. It was one of our talking points. It was one of our, you know, leaf behinds. And, you know, it all seems to be a little bit in vain right now. Or maybe not, you know, maybe we can turn our frustration with Medicare into action. You know, much like we say, you know, we, we just finished uh, a series of stop the bleed classes at, at MedStar. And, you know, whenever we have mass shootings, especially if it's in Texas, um, we offer a class and we had hundreds of community members who turned their anger into action. So maybe that's one of the primary messages to the EMS community. We need to turn our frustration into action. Yeah, but when we think about this, I mean, it, it seems that everybody, when I say everybody from the commercial side of the business uh, insurance always seems to follow what 
CMS does, right? I mean, whether it's payments, whether it's whatever it is, but now as they set this standard, they put this line in the sand to say, we, you know, we gave EMS this opportunity. And I, I want to really get to the why of this happened. Can we really be the ones to say, CMS, you're making a mistake here? Yeah, I think we can, Chris, because, you know, you've been a key participant uh, or a key, um, not necessarily a participant, but you've been involved on the CMS side as a contractor for them for since the beginning of the program. And every piece of data that we've got, and I've, I was blessed to be on, I guess I still am on for now, the quality measures committee for CMMI and CMS on the ET3 model, and all the data that we were being given by the external evaluator showed a tremendous economic benefit to Medicare for each ET3 intervention. So it shocked me when I read in the letter that the program was not yielding the mm-hmm. savings that Medicare had anticipated. Literally, that committee meeting was a month or two before we got the letter. I'm like, were, were you all at the same meeting? <laughs> but hang on a minute. Let me, let me about- jump in on that thought quickly then. So I know, because of course, I, I mean, as Chris knows, I wrote the ET3 program for actually for Sioux Falls and I, and I proofread Han and Cohen's New York operation and uh, obviously saw that, you know, that the, the non-disclosure clauses that went into to all of that stuff. If the deal, if all bets are off, why don't we just FOIA the information then? So Congress has been asking CMS for several months to release this data and CMS has not done it. Um, we have it. There are several of us that have the presentation from Booz Allen. We know exactly what this is savings. But Rob, your point is well taken. One of my, Chris, to your early question, my first reaction was, what the hell? Um, my second reaction was, well, I guess if there's not going to be any participation agreement, then we're not bound by confidentiality anymore. Right. And I'll just email the Booz Allen presentation to every member of Congress. And <laughs> here's the savings to the Medicare program. Please pass the tip and tad language. Um, and I honestly think we should do that. And we probably will. You know, That's certainly a good idea then, because as you know, you know, you've seen behind the curtain that there is there is evidence and data that supports that. And so, yes, indeed, I, I think we probably need to just to speak to someone with the word cancel in their name, cancel in their name, but actually get on and do it. Because yeah. Rob and Chris, what, what are they going to do for revealing that they're going to kick us out of the program? Yeah, exactly. And now, you know, one of the things too to think about though, let's get to the meat of this, right? Because it seems that, you know, Matt, you're saying, hey, we got this presentation, you know, we're seeing some savings. We got a finger point from CMS saying, ah, we're not seeing what we thought we were going to see. Um, certainly we know that, and as you mentioned this before we started recording, Matt, transformation is hard. You know, we're trying to move people into getting away from what we've done for 50, 60 years to say, this isn't the way the business is going to look tomorrow. We, we've got to be on this bandwagon. So is there, I guess, how do you word this? Is there a finger point to EMS or is this all on CMS because they pulled the trigger too soon? I mean, we, we really have to get to the core of this because if we're going to continue in some form or fashion, we do have to be able to polish the things that we were doing. So we've drafted, any EMT has drafted a letter to Secretary Becerra um, and the Medicare administrator that we're going to carbon copy every member of Congress on, and it's being circulated now amongst our partners, AAA, um, fire chiefs, firefighters, all kind of stuff, so we can get a joint letter to, to Congress. But we, in that letter, we cite 
four things that made it very difficult. And let me back up for a second. So I think when Medicare says that they're not seeing the savings that they had anticipated, I think on the aggregate, they may be right. Because as we all know, when Medicare was first pushed in this model, they wanted thousands of agencies to participate. When you have thousands of agencies participating, you get a law of large numbers, you get a whole bunch of patients enrolled in the ET3 program. Well, last data that we got, there are 41, 41 agencies that operationalized their ET3 program. And of those 41 agencies, only 12 have submitted more than 10 claims, according to Medicare. So yes, small number of claims, which then they could realistically say with a straight face that we're not seeing the savings that we thought we would on the aggregate. But in terms of the savings that they're seeing per intervention, okay, the, the data is solid. We just need to get more people involved. Medicare put so many crazy stipulations into participation in the ET3 model, made it very, very difficult for agencies to participate. For example, the whole concept of a qualified healthcare practitioner, that they have to either telemedicine, on scene, you know, whatever, transport, telemedicine, assassination. A lot of agencies couldn't make that turn. Um, then the second thing was, here's your participation agreement. It's 43 pages. Sign it or not. You can't make any changes. For a lot of city attorneys and county attorneys who they say, I'm, we're out because we need to change this language or that, you know, whatever the case might be. So they just didn't, they didn't sign the agreement. Then third, hell, they implemented the damn thing during a pandemic, right? <laughs> All this crazy stuff going on. And then the icing on the cake. And, you know, Chris Kelly and others, Steve Worth, were actively involved in this. Medicare sends a, oh, by the way, we forgot to tell you that as a participant, you must submit every patient care record for every patient that you come in contact with. Well, many of us, including Chris and Rob and others, said, well, by definition, isn't that sort of a HIPAA violation? Because... Medicare is only a payer on 40% of our patients, but if we're sending you every patient encounter, you're getting information for the Blues and Anthem and Cigna and United, and we can't give you that information because, and, and you're the ones that enforce the HIPAA rules. <laughs> How can we? And they said, well, if you don't give us all the data, then you're out. And, you know, again, for, for departments that aren't willing to take that risk, they were out. So when you combine all those things together, plus as you said earlier, transformation change is hard. That's why they only had 41 participants. If if they eliminate those barriers, those hurdles to implementation, holy crap, we may have a whole bunch of people. And when Texas did the ET3 program for the Medicaid population, they took the advice of the Texas EMS Alliance, and there are none of those stipulations. It's basically just, we're going to pay you if you're not transported. It's up to your medical director to decide how he or she wants to implement that. Um, and they've got huge enrollment on the Medicaid side. <laughs> There's no barriers and it's open to every provider. So but, I just think that we need to really be realistic about the causes for this and, and move on. I want to go back and just highlight an irony that you picked up on at the very first, at the very start of, of this sort of explanation you just gave that uh, we, we only have a very small number of, of fully participating organizations, right? When you have a Medicare audit, they're very capable of aggregating up that small error into a massive fine, right? So they're good at that. 
So if you've only got a small participants, guess what? Aggregate it up into a massive saving. Isn't it that simple? Yeah. I know it's not, but hang on a second. You can't do it one way and not the other. Chris, let's let's have some fun here for a second. Let's use some completely fictitious numbers. Okay. Let's say, let's say, take out your back of the napkin. Let's say that the ET3 model, just you know, picking a number number, saved an average of five hundred dollars net Medicare savings after they pay EMS, after they pay the qualified healthcare practitioner. And then still, the net savings to Medicare is $500 per per intervention. Now, Nasemso in 2011, I'm sorry, 2021, uh, was able to document 20 million EMS responses for the year. Okay, uh, half are, are Medicare, let's say, between people over 65, people who are chronically ill, disabled, whatever. Um, so that's 10 million of those patients or Medicare patients. If we reduced the transports by, as Health Affairs published, 15%, that means 1.5 million people, Medicare beneficiaries, would not go to the emergency department from a 911 call. At $500 savings to Medicare per person, 750 million. what's the matter? How much? Seven hundred fifty million. Seven hundred and fifty million dollars, without even breathing hard. Good job, Chris. Yeah. Um, that to me is not not a, no savings. <laughs> a pretty significant mm-hmm. savings. Yeah. So, Rob, I've been, uh, you know, this is a crossover show. So EMS One Stop and uh, Inside EMS, I've been hoarding all the questions. So let me go ahead and uh, give you some of the questions that you have. And uh, this way, your listeners can be entertained as well. Thank you for tossing that over to me, Chris. Uh, I'm prepared to uh, ask ask Matt a few questions. No, seriously, though. But, uh, you know, we've highlighted the issue. We've highlighted where we think their shortcomings are or where their short-sightedness has been. Matt, when I've spoken to you before, though, you and we, we've had many an ET3 discussion, actually, as, we, as we've been anticipating its you know, report out and its conclusion. One of the things you always said to me is, but you don't have to be enrolled in the ET3 program to do it. You just have to get on with it and do it. So that advice hasn't changed, surely. It hasn't. And, you know, Chris does a lot of work with some payers and he does a great job with it. We've, um, and many agencies, MedStar is one, continue to push the envelope. We've got several commercial payers that are paying us for non-transport and for community paramedicine programs. We are in the final stages of discussion with our third largest commercial payer, where not only are they going to continue paying us, they've for the last um, year, they've been on a one-year pilot, they've been paying us for non-transport and they want to not only renew that for five years, um, but they also want to start enrolling their population into our community paramedic program, our community health program. But here's the big deal. We negotiated with them and they agreed that we should get reimbursed for the non-transport, even if we don't send an ambulance. So, for example, consider all your listeners who are struggling to get ambulances on the street, right. but you've got a bunch of uh, first response vehicles, QRVs. So we operate QRVs at MedStar. I told this payer, listen, if we send an ambulance to an Omega level call and we seen treat no transport, 
you're going to pay us $1,250, $1,250. How about if we send a quick response vehicle with a well-trained EMT to an Omega level call, and they can disposition that patient either through telehealth or not telehealth, just, you know, whatever. And you pay us $250. And they said, Okay, what CPT code do you want to use? Because we can't use an AO code because you're not sending an ambulance. What yeah, CPT yeah. code do you want to use? So they're going to pay us for that. So I took it to the next step and said, okay, now that I have you on the hook, what if we don't send anybody? What if we disposition it in the call center, the 911 center, and we don't have to send a QRV, we don't have to send an ambulance, we can get them hooked up with you know, just use a really good community paramedic in the comm center, not not a nurse, community paramedic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, well, we would consider that the same as a scene treat for the QRV. What code do you want to use for that? So they're going to pay us for a non-response, but we dispo the call and the call. That's the model that everybody needs to be looking at. And this payer gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're willing to do it because we'll get paid for dispositioning the call whether it was going to the trauma center with a level one trauma case or, you know, seeing treating the diabetic and getting them to their endocrinologist tomorrow. You're paid the same. So that works for you. Um, So we have a number of, a number of courses of action, if you like, of course, we need to, you know, appeal. We need to question why the plug, why the rug or the plug was pulled uh, we need to identify that there were actual savings, real savings in the system. But also, you know, we, we also need to work around the outside and, and continue to take the initiative. Um, but, you know, we are some some of us are private. I, I certainly represent associations that are private ambulance companies. Let's let's get that one out in the open. Um, others are in publicly funded organizations. Um, is the you know, is is there enough support? Is there enough drive to actually get on and do this? Though that's, I, I guess that's, I've I, I've been doing a lot of elephant in the room talks lately. That's one of those elephants in the room. That you know, do we have the oomph to get us the next, get us to the next stage? Even there, <clears throat> Rob, you 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 as always cut it to the chase. When you're an agency that's getting a large amount of your funding from the public trough. And I mean that in every sense of the word, you have less motivation to try and be economically efficient than someone who's not taking a significant portion of their money from taxpayers. So I think we see a lot of the inertia from folks. And and, and I'll be honest, I had a pretty frank conversation with the fire chief just last week, two weeks ago at the Eagles conference, the pre-con, and said, hey, look at all these cool things you could be doing. And I said, oh, you know, we don't really have to do that. Because when we need more money, we just increase our budget and taxpayers fund it. And as long as the city manager is good with it, we're good to go. And as a taxpayer, you say, well, say that again. I, I don't really understand. If you, <laughs> and it just doesn't compute. But here, here's what's happening. Um, as you guys know, um, some of us work for some consulting firms. And the number of city managers, county administrators, other communities who are reaching out for some expert advice on how can they make their system more efficient because this thing has happened over the last few years in many states called tax caps. And they can't raise taxes. They can't do things that they could do in the past to fund initiatives. So they're needing to figure out how 
to make the systems more economically efficient. And I think these are the kind of things that we all need to start educating the elected and appointed officials in communities that, listen, you're leaving a ton of money on the table. You know, if you're if your fire department or your public agency is is billing for service, but you're billing half what the market is allowing for reimbursement, get over yourself. Build the market rate, increase your your third party reimbursement by two, three, four, five million dollars a year, and reduce the tax funding that you need for that agency. Those are the conversations that we're starting to have in communities across the country. We need to have that, and this this model plays right into that. You know, the revenue stream to MedStar from the AT3 model has been really good. Um, and, and certainly now on the Medicaid side has been really good. And it, it's helped us substantially from an economic perspective. And oh, by the way, the patient experience scores, shout out to Bobby Hopewell and his team at EMS Survey Team. They've been doing our ET3 surveys. The, the customer satisfaction with the ET3 outcomes are way better than the customer satisfaction scores from the ones we take to the hospital. Oh, I would bet. Yeah, I would think so. It's interesting. I'm, I've only been hit over here in the UK for a, a few days, but I was in the, the local supermarket today to, you know, when you go away somewhere, you want to get those delicacies from the old country. And I was certainly doing that this afternoon. And I bumped into one of my old medics who now works for the local primary care team as one of the advanced care practitioner community paramedics. And, you know, as a part of a three-person team, they are doing exactly what you describe. Imagine and that. they are cherished and heralded by the community. And paid well. And paid well because and they're valuable. paid well. No, let, let's just say that the National Health Service, of course, which is 75 today at the time of recording this, by the way, happy birthday, NHS, or belatedly by the time it comes to air. But the point, and, and of course, the NHS is free at the point of delivery. But of course, it's funded by the government who are constantly trying to make cuts so it's a kind of a, it's the same but different, and therefore those community paramedics that are that are out there doing this are making that financial difference, and it's it's t- telling. It is, and and I've always said that, you know, for a country like ours that claims to be so advanced, our healthcare system is medieval. Yeah. And you, know, you look at the UK, you look at most of Europe, you look at Canada, Australia where you've got a single payer system, those single payers understand the value of EMS and it's not in the mileage fee. Yeah. Well, it's not healthcare. It's get to the next appointment care, right? I mean, you can't, you can't help somebody, you know, you Mm -hmm. can't get someone healthy in 15 minutes of visiting with a doctor. So, but uh, as we get up there in time, you know, it's time that we, you know, close this joint um, entertainment of EMS one stop and inside EMS and I guess, you know, from my side, I'd really just like the closing thoughts. There's a lot of bad feeling in EMS right now as we point a finger at CMS to say, how can you do this to us? And with the expertise that we have here on the show, really maybe even speak to the providers who may not understand what's going on and give them a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of motivation to say, you know, this necessarily may not be a bad thing, but Matt, what do you leave them with? Rob, how many, you, you track this, how many systems have failed or closed in the last two years? That's an excellent question. And I want to, without going back to the news log, which is what Rough we're talking guess. about here, um, I want to say 25 to 30. We've so tracked I, I, just did this, I just looked at the log for a presentation that I'm doing tomorrow with one of our reporters. It's 55. Good God. There we go. And I'm the one that keeps it. Well done. <laughs> 
So 55 systems have closed and growing and faster um, because the economic model is jacked up. And until we, as a profession, do what nurses did, do what doctors do, to show that our value is not transactional, our value is transformative. And if you're sitting in an ambulance at a post listening to this podcast, or you're sitting at a station on your Barca lounge or waiting for the brisket to finish barbecuing, realize that the way things are going in our profession, we're all in trouble. And until we get serious about proving that we can bring more value to the payer, and I don't care if it's the taxpayer, if it's Medicare, if it's Medicaid, if it's commercial insurers, then our days are numbered. And people are going to figure out a better way to do what we're doing. And that might be Uber Health. Because how many patients that we respond to every day don't need us. They just need a ride to the hospital or a ride to a clinic. Right. But I think that that's the change in the whole healthcare system, right? When we think about this from what we're doing in the community paramedicine space is we're trying to teach people how to take care of themselves, right? And, and you know, Chris Montera had that great quote, and I know you've used it, Matt, that, uh, you know, pretty soon we're going to be a community health agency that sometimes has to do ambulance calls. And uh, like fire departments are, are EMS agencies that occasionally reset a fire alarm. Exactly. You know, but Rob, your final thoughts, I mean, on this special show, as we're crossing over, what do you, what do you got for your audience? Matt is always a tough act to follow, particularly in this topic, because he has been embedded in it for the last two or three years. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we need to continue to, to ask why it happened. Now, the thing that the great thing now at the moment is we are hunting as a pack. And I say, I've said this all the time, you know, that the larger national associations and organizations are acting as one. Uh, Matt mentioned, referenced the letter that's, that's hopefully going to come out. And I'm sure it'll be made public eventually, you know, questioning this. So at the top, we must continue to do what we're doing, which is now, as I say, hunting as a pack at the bottom. And I don't mean at the bottom, actually, at the sharp end, at the uh, what is it that Gary that, that Gary Ludwig used to say at, at the the tip of the spear, <laughs> right? The guys that are delivering the service, you know, continue to do what you do while we try and sort out what has turned into this mess because we thought we were on the right route, uh, and then someone's now put out a roadblock, and so we now have to work out how to detour or indeed knock it down. So keep keep up the good work while we try and work out how we get around this. Now, Chris, just a a point of personal privilege, if I can. And yes, this is recorded, so it might be a little bit later, but this recording is on July 5th. Rob, you're in the UK, right? Yes, sir. How did the celebration yesterday go in the UK for July 4th? We enjoyed a day at work. (laughs) It was fantastic. (laughs) And and you say that July 4th, 1776 was what, Rob? What do you always refer to it as? Well, it was what's on the on your porch, I think, Matt. It was uh, treason day, and, uh, and and the original Brexit, the original Brexit, and the of course, Brexit. thank you for. Th- I'd like to thank everybody for uh, for throwing us out at Yorktown, or as I call it, the departure lounge, because it then gave us the reason to go and move over to Australia. <laughs> Very cool, uh, <laughs> Matt. It's always great to have you on the show. Please, uh, you know, between Rob's show and and mine, you have an open invitation anytime you want to come on and share your wisdom with us. And I want to thank everyone for joining Inside EMS. For Kelly Grayson, I'm Chris Sabalero. But, Rob, you have an audience as well. I'll let you close out for them. 
and um, thank you I, I will close out for us chris don't forget everybody uh whatever whether you're watching us on youtube don't forget you can now see us or you can hear us wherever you consume your uh your podcasts or your audio what is the technical term for this your audio cast your vlog whatever it is yeah that's it you blog. can either hear us or you can see us or you can do both uh but the really important thing is we would love you to like and subscribe on the platform you're listening to us on because and what happens then is if you like and subscribe then of course we get more stars and, and as a new episode comes out you get alerted to it so please like and subscribe um and thank you for doing your closing chris of course this is uh, a crossover uh, it's uh, me rob lawrence for ems one stop you can follow me on twitter at uk rob l1 uh, but on behalf of uh, chris sevalero kelly grayson who's on other duties as assigned our amazing guest matt zabatsky i've been rob lawrence and thank you very much and bye for now <laughs>